very special over the culture. It's February 2nd, 2020. Even though it's Super Bowl Sunday, all everyone is thinking about is Kobe Bean Bryant. We're going to go across the lines with the aforementioned Black Mamba, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. In honor of Black History Month, we're going to celebrate the life of Reverend Wyatt T. Walker and hater appreciation for comedian Ari Shafir. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. This is Over the Culture podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. What's you about to get into? You also get to hear about things I don't like, like coworkers who think they're your boss. Nigga, you get paid the same as me. And hack comedians. Damn, they just give anybody a Netflix special these days. What's up, everybody? I am your bastard of ceremonies, the one gig kid, Alfred Hugecock, Alex Treblack, Pat Stayblack, Luke Flytalker, Reefer Sutherland, the most interesting blurred in podcasting, Steve G. And this is over the culture, man. My people, how is everyone? How was your week? It's been a rough week. Um, It's been a rough week for the world. Not just for me, not just for this country, not just for Laker fans, not just for basketball fans. It's been a rough week for the world. Uh, Kobe Bryant, as you all know by now, he passed away in a helicopter crash, uh, him and his daughter uh, and some of their friends. And I want to make sure I'm getting their names right. Uh, now, all included in the plane crash, uh, it was Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gianna, uh, baseball coach, college baseball coach, John Altabelli, his wife, Carrie Altabelli, their daughter, Alyssa Altabelli, girls basketball coach, Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, and her daughter, Peyton Chester, and the pilot, Ara Zabayan. And condolences to everyone's family. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant, a Hall of Fame player. He gave his life to this game. And unfortunately, he will not be present uh, here on earth to be at his own uh, Hall of Fame induction. And they're going to induct him this year. Uh, It's going to be a posthumous, obviously a posthumous uh, induction. And like I said, the man gave his life uh, to the game of basketball. I remember seeing him drafted uh, in, two, in 1996, at the age of 17, he was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets, and they would later draft or trade him to the Los Angeles Lakers, where he would play for his whole career. And they traded him to the Lakers for Vladi Divac, and the Lakers obviously won big out of that trade. Um, five championships and an MVP, several uh, all-first defensive team all-star appearances uh, later, uh, you know, there's another number. There's two more numbers that they, they raised to the rafters, number eight, number 24, and uh, Dallas Mavericks apparently are going to retire in number 24. Uh, Mark Cuban says there will never be another Dallas Maverick wearing the number 24. Uh, 
props to them for showing love and appreciation for one of the greatest to ever play the game. More on that later. Now, I, I want to apologize to those who've been listening. Uh, I took another two-week two week hiatus unannounced, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. This isn't easy. Um, I'm running this shit all by myself, all by my lonesome, and I'm still trying to figure this out. Um, throughout the week, I try to plan what my stories are going to be. Sometimes when I, when I get to the weekend, I, I'm still struggling to find a story. Who's going to be my across the lines segment? Who's going to be my hater appreciation? And quite frankly, some weeks I just, I'm running on empty. I'm running on fumes on top of, you know, working in the nine to five. And by the way, I'm, I'm two weeks in at the new job so far. So good. Um, and I'm going to try to write this ship the best way I can. It's, it, it all comes down to time management, what you do with your time. And that is a journey that I still, I'm, I'm still, I, I got to get through some, some obstacles to get where I need to be, uh, to be a, a master of time management. It's, it's been a struggle of mine for a while. Um, and I'm cognizant of it. And, you know, knowing is half the battle. You know, the only thing to it now is to do it. And ideally, I would like to have a new episode for you guys every Sunday. So I can pick up some steam, you know, tell a friend, telephone, tell your mom about Over the Culture podcast. It's hard to say I, that I, I can't make any promises if, if there will be an episode next week. But that's the ultimate goal. Have something fresh in the oven for you guys every Sunday. But we're back now. And like I said, this was a rough week. Uh, you know, the Kobe thing, it affected a lot of people outside of basketball, outside of the world of sports. He was an inspiration to a lot of people. And I, as a basketball fan, I always respected Kobe Bryant's game. Um, I never denied the man's talent. He's definitely one of the greatest to ever play the game. And it always came down to pick a side, uh, the whole dichotomy of our society. You always have to pick one or two, A or B, red pill, blue pill, Shaq or Kobe, LeBron or Kobe. And every time it was the former. If it was between Shaq or Kobe, I'd pick Shaq. Love Shaq. Between LeBron or Kobe, pick LeBron. And with all that said, I still think he's he's easily one of the top five players to ever play the game. And he will be greatly missed. He left behind three other daughters and a beautiful wife, Vanessa Bryant. Um, prayers go out to the Altabellis, to the Bryants, uh, to the, the pilot, uh, and I hope I'm not mispronouncing, uh, Ara Zabayan, her family, the Chester family, the Mauser family. And my, my narrative of Kobe Bryant has obviously changed, uh, you know, 
for the longest, I would say, you know, he is the Shawn Michaels of the NBA, the heartbreak kid. And I meant that in a disparaging manner, in a disparaging way. And, you know, it was the whole rift between him and Shaq, how he threw Shaq under the bus. And, you know, when he got caught up and, you know, Shawn Michaels, how he threw his tag team partner for years, Marty Jannetty through the window, the barbershop at, at Brutus the Barber Beefcake's barbershop. And they did that earlier in their careers. But over time, they proved themselves to be great at their craft. One of the greatest. Uh, Shawn Michaels, you could easily say he's the greatest performer to ever get in the ring. Kobe Bryant, you could arguably say he's the greatest to play the game. He modeled his game after Jordan. And Jordan, to most people, is the greatest. Um, to the newer generation that was their Michael Jordan. They grew up wanting to be like Kobe. Jordan was pretty much long done when Kobe hit his stride. So now with the unfortunate circumstances that just happened recently with Kobe passing and The Rock he just lost his father the week before last. Uh, their their families have experienced painful losses. Such a, a close time span, as well as them being second generation performers. The Rock's father was a wrestler back in the 70s and 80s, and Kobe Bryant's father was a professional basketball player in the 70s and 80s. I'm gonna touch on that a little bit more, obviously, during the Across the Line segment. Um, I also wanna talk about Eminem. His album just came out. And, you know, he's always gonna have his skeptics. And some hip hop purists, in their scheme of things, he can do no right. But I like the album, I love the album. It has some great, Cameos, uh, cameo from Black Thought, cameos from Slaughterhouse. Royce is in the album about two or three times. And this is the Eminem I love. This is the Eminem I've grown to love. This is witty metaphors, witty punchlines, entertaining hooks. He has this one called Little Engine, where he's just ving, ving, boom, ving, 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 boom. He keeps it fun. I feel like that's one of the, the lost art forms of being an MC. You have to make it fun, make this whole thing entertaining. Line for line, people, you wanna keep the listeners holding on to the next line, and I feel like Eminem does that throughout this album. Murder, music to murder you two. Lil Wayne just dropped his funeral. Uh, I believe it's the mixtape I listened to on Dat Piff. And it sounds like a lot of lullabies. This isn't the Wayne I've grown to love. Uh, there, There is some witty metaphors and punchlines and, you know, some good wordplay. But there's a lot of that Percocet rap. It just kind of lulls you to sleep. 
these bye-bye backsheet bars. Well, I, I don't know if this is going to be the album, if that's the album or the mixtape. I believe it's the mixtape. But uh, when the album is released, if that's not, you got to follow up with something else, man. Because I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really feeling it all the way. It, it has its moments. But yeah, I'm not, not too thoroughly impressed. I did like his last album. It's a lot better than this funeral. Speaking of funerals, the last episode of Power just aired, and damn you, Tariq. Michael Rainey Jr., he should receive an Emmy. He should receive a Golden Globe. He is doing the damn thing. Like, when, when, a, when an actor or actress can play a role to the point where you just bore them, the actual person. And, and Michael Rainey, unfortunately, has been receiving death threats because his character on the show Power is just that much hateable, abhorable, deplorable, despicable. And it should never go that left when a performer, an entertainer, is receiving death threats based on a fictional character that they're portraying. But the guy is that good. Young Michael Rainey Jr. He played the fuck out of that role. Because I found myself wanting to punch him through the TV screen. Gotta give credit where it's due. And... You know, the end of power is here. We finally found out who shot Ghost. And I kind of like how it ended. It's kind of like Ghost got the last laugh. Tariq, you get no money unless you graduate four years. A four-year college. And Tasha, you got to go to jail. And they ended it with a prequel. At the, at the end of the episode, they're, uh, I guess they're going to start another series, like a, a power prequel. And, it, you know, it's starting off based around the relationship uh, young James St. Patrick had with Angela Valdez. And him on the come up on the rise with his young buddy, Tommy. Mr. Tommy Egan. So I'm going to be watching that as well. It's good TV. One of the few great shows on television at the moment I spend a lot of my TV watching uh, my TV time watching old cartoons old sitcoms Uh, you know I I don't even really care to watch the current WWE I've been on about I lost track now about 3 or 4 month hiatus watching WWE I haven't watched Survivor Series I haven't watched Royal Rumble I keep saying I will but it's hard And then trying to find time between, hey, what am I going to watch and how am I going to get to work on time? I got to I gotta find time to rest and recharge. So whatever I watch on television, it's got to be worth it. And WWE's current product is just not worth it. Shows on ID channel are better than the current WWE product. Reruns of The Simpsons, better than the current WWE product. 
episodes of the X-Men cartoon series. Pinky and the Brain, DuckTales. Most of Disney Network, Disney Plus, is better than the current WWE Network. So, Vince, I don't know what the hell y'all doing over there, but it's y'all need a revamp. I, I really don't know what the hell y'all need to do. But AEW, they're still on your heels. And they're not letting their foot off the brakes. On the brakes. They're not letting their foot off the pedal. Yeah. So anyways, I started my job two weeks ago. And uh, the pay is better. We get paid every week. Two days on, two days off. Three days on, two off. Two days on, three off. So three-day weekend, every other weekend. I'm liking that. And I found my person I don't like. Yeah, took me no time, and it's a sorry ass. Dear white people, by the way, I want to address this. If you get paid the same as your peers, i.e. your co-workers, don't come to them with the energy of a boss, of a supervisor. You get paid to do the same exact thing they do. You're there to do the same exact thing, especially if you started around the same time as you as they did. Meet Billy. Billy is a white male, a portly white male. And he gets paid the same as I do. And I just started two weeks ago. Billy, he's been there about, what, five, six months now. He has this weird idea that he's there to quote-unquote train people. When in fact... Billy's using that an excuse to be a sorry, lazy, fat fuck. Most of the people at my job, most of the men at my job don't really care for Billy because they all say the same thing. Billy is a sorry, lazy, fat fuck. And he tries to get over on the new people as if he has some kind of position of of, or rank if you will, when really he's putting up a facade for being a sorry ass fat fuck. So, and and I, I say this because I say white people, because that seems to be my, from my experience, I know that, you know, other races could possibly do it, but man, I'm telling you, you got a lot of I've had, I've had a lot of white coworkers who are supervisors in their own mind, managers in their own mind, CEOs without the badge, without the title. White people just shh, just go there, do the job, just like your coworkers. Until you get that raise, until you get that promotion, just chill and do the job that everyone else is doing because if not the people who are doing that job that you're supposed to be doing they'll resent you and it'll be rough working there it'll be rough believe me they're going to despise you they're going to talk about you behind your back it's going to make you very uncomfortable unless you fully embrace the fact that you're a lazy, sorry, fat fuck. 
And Billy might be one of those people. Fuck Billy and everyone like Billy. Shaq, you're the first guy I thought of when I heard this news the other day. Of course, I talked to you and Charles and Kenny later that afternoon, but then I saw that you had gotten a text from Kobe that morning. Sharif had gotten one. What, um, how do you, how have you been over the last 48 hours? Well, as you know, it's already been the last couple months been really tough. Uh, Lost my little sister. I haven't been sleeping. I haven't been doing the normal things I usually do. I work, we laugh, we kid, we joke. When I get back home and look at reality and say she's gone, it just hurts. So the other day I'm downstairs working out with my son Shakir and my nephew Columbus. And my other nephew comes in crying and he shows me his phone. And I snapped at him. I said, man, get that out of my face. Just get it away from me. You know, we live in a world where anything could be photoshopped, anything could be hoaxed. I didn't want to believe it. And then I got the call from you, Charles, Kenny. Everybody called me. And then we found out it was confirmed. And haven't felt the pain that sharp in a while. 47 years old, uh, two, lost two grandmothers, lost a Sarge, lost my sister, and now I lost a little brother. We, uh, our names will be attached together for what we did. People always ask about our relationship, and I tell them it's just like me and Charles. You got two strong-minded people that are gonna get it done their way. They're gonna say certain things. The respect will never be lost. But when it comes to be inside the lines and win, that's what me and him, that's what we did. That's what me and Charles, that's what we do. It was sort of like a triple, triple stabbing to the heart because after you cry and wonder about that. Then I get back on the internet, Rick Fox is on the plane. So now I'm, I'm, I'm sick even more. I'm calling Rick, he's not answering. So now I'm, 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 I'm like, what's going on? And then the final blow, his lovely daughter was with him on the helicopter. You know, we, every time I saw his lovely wife and his kids, same thing I do with, with, with Kenny's kids and D-Wade's kids. Hi, my name is Uncle Shaq. I don't know if they know me as a basketball player. It doesn't matter. I just, I am Uncle Shaq. I try to make him laugh. And he would do the same thing. Sharif called me devastated and said, Kobe, just text me to check and see how he's doing. And he used to do that from, from time to time. You know, it just makes me think that in, in life, Sometimes instead of holding back certain things, we should just do.
do you wait? Hold on, let's finish. Oh, okay, go. We, uh, we up here, we work a lot. And I think a lot of times we, we, we take stuff for granted. Like, I don't talk to you guys as much as I, as much as I need to. The fact that uh, we're not going to be able to joke at his Hall of Fame ceremony. We're not going to be able to say, hi, I got five, you got four. The fact that we're not going to be able to say, if we would stay together, we could have got ten. Those are the things that you, you can't get back. And with the loss of my father, my sister, and my thing, that's the only thing I wish I could just say something to him again. Last time I talked to him was when we were here and I asked him to get 50 and he got 60. The last time I spoke to him. And I just wish I could have, you know, so it, it definitely changes me. I have to, because I work a lot. You, you, you guys know what I do. I, I, I work probably more than the average guy, but I just really have to now just take time and just call and say, I love you. Rick Fox call, finally called me and said, man, I love you. B. Shaw called me. So I'm going to try to do a better job of just reaching out and just talking to the people rather than always procrastinating because you never know. Life is too short. I never, I could never imagine nothing like this. I was thinking the other day, I've, I've never seen anything like this. All the basketball idols that I grew up, I see them. They're old. Like I used to be at home when you came to interview me, Ernie. I used to watch the great round, mile round of rebound. Now I'm working with him. I used to want to be Dr. J. He used to live next door to my mother in Orlando. My father used to tell me about the three great big men. I met them. I seen them. And the fact that uh, we lost probably the world's greatest Laker, world's greatest basketball player, it's just, I, listen, people are going to say, take your time and get better, but it's going to be hard for me. I already don't sleep anyway, so, but I'll, uh, I'll figure it out. My condolence goes out to his family, his mom, his dad, his sisters, the other families, everybody involved. Laker organization, I talked to Jeannie and Linda, and, uh, People here are hurting, especially in this organization. You know, some people have to get treatment, and some people just just don't understand. Because it hit all of us out of nowhere. I didn't want to believe it. I said to myself, I, I hope somebody, some butt face made this up, and it's not true. I didn't want to believe it. And then after getting all the, com the, the calls, and then you finally feel this concern, it just, it just, you know, my spirit just, uh, left my body. I just wish I could be able to say one thing to the, one last thing to the people that we, we lost. Because, uh, you know, once you're gone, you're gone forever. And, you know, we should never take stuff like that uh, for granted. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome LeBron James. Before I get started on the, uh, the speech that I have, uh, I want to acknowledge all the lives that was lost Sunday morning. Alyssa Altabelli, John Altabelli, Carrie Altabelli, 
Peyton Chester, Sarah Chester, Christina Mauser, Ara Zalbanya, Gianna Bryant, and Kobe Bryant. Now, I got something um, written down. You know, they asked me to kind of stay on course or whatever the case may be, but Laker Nation, man, I would be selling y'all short if I read off. But, The first thing that comes to mind, man, is all about family. And as I look around this arena, we're all grieving. We're all hurt. We're all heartbroken. And when we're going through things like this, the best thing you can do is lean on the shoulders of your family. And from Sunday morning all the way to this point, now I heard about Laker Nation before I got here last year about how much of a family it is. That is absolutely what I've seen this whole week, not only from the players, not only from the coaching staff, not only from the organization, but from everybody. Everybody that's here, this is really, truly, truly a family. And I know Kobe and Gianna and Vanessa and everybody, thank you guys from the bottom of their heart, as Kobe said. Now, I know at some point we will have a memorial for Kobe. But I look at this, I look at this as a celebration tonight. This is, this is a celebration of the 20 years of the blood, the sweat, the tears, the broken down body, the getting up and sitting down, the everything, the countless hours, the determination to be as great as he could be. Tonight, we celebrate the kid that came here at 18 years of age. Retired at 38 and became probably the best dad that we've seen over the past three years, man. Tonight is a celebration. Before we get to play, love y'all, man. Kobe is a brother to me. And from the time I was in high school, watching him afar, to get in this league at 18, watching him up close. All the battles that we had throughout my career, the one thing that we always shared is that determination to just want to win. They just want to be great. And the fact that I'm here now means so much to me. I want to continue along with my teammates continue his legacy not only for this year but as long as we can play the game of basketball that we love because that's what Kobe Bryant will want. So in the words of Kobe Bryant, Mamba out, but in the words of us, not forgotten. Live on brother.
whenever a famous celebrity dies in the physical sense and passes on it's it affects a lot of people millions of people depending on the size of the star Kobe Bryant impacted millions of people not just in the state of California not just Lakers fans not just fans of basketball he impacted pop culture he became a part of the pop culture lexicon he became synonymous with throwing the paper basketball into the wastebasket kobe he impacted kids not just in america he impacted kids in africa he impacted kids in the philippines kids in china kids in japan kids in europe and it was a sad day and people are still mourning it's going to take us a while to get over this it caught everyone off guard he didn't know his fellow passengers his daughter didn't know that that was going to be their last helicopter ride and because of the severity of it people have spread their love on social media uh and you know it's really not cool to tell people how to mourn and whenever a celebrity does pass in the physical form there's always going to be that group of denigrators who want to talk down on how someone feels about a certain celebrity just because they're a celebrity that they never met and the typical oh you show more love for a stranger than you would even your own kind your own family and to that i say how do you know how do you you don't know how people mourn uh myself included when i lose important members of my family people who were close to me it hits me hard it hits me like it doesn't hit anyone else in the family the grieving process is something very personal i share pictures on my social media outlets i write eulogies when my grandparents passed want to share my thoughts my experiences with my loved ones in front of my loved ones it's therapeutic it helps the grieving process it it soothes the grieving process and i never met kobe bryant obviously i'll never have the chance to here on earth and even though i wasn't the biggest fan i i'm affected by it because not just because i'm a fan of the nba of sports uh, i'm a fan of humanity and he's one of our brothers he's one of my brothers at the end of the day he had a beautiful black family 
that he loved and that he tended to and that he fed with everything, all the wisdom that he could. And his daughter, Gigi, she looked up to her father. It shows in the pictures. She wanted to be just like her daddy. And he was there to help guide her along that path. He was more than willing to. And it showed this man had a passion for the sport of basketball. He gave his life to the sport of basketball. And the fact that one of his seeds, one of his baby girls, he saw that same spark in her. He saw that same passion. And he was more than willing to teach her, to show her the ropes. It seemed like Kobe Bryant was starting to feel comfortable his post-NBA career, post-NBA life, life after Lakers. Seems like he was getting well-adjusted. And I think about all of that. I think about the other families. I think about Vanessa Bryant. I think about Kobe's parents. Even though they had a rift a while back, that was still their son. And I know that that has affected them. I think about all of that. And I post memes. I've been sharing pictures, some Kobe pictures, some Kobe art. And I bring all that up to say that even though I've never met this man, he still has had an impact on me in some kind of way, shape or form. Uh, He's impacted a lot of people uh, for good. He's had a positive effect on people. He's inspired a lot of young boys and girls to lace up their tennis shoes and perfect their jump shot, to perfect their fadeaway, their crossover. He was a huge inspiration for a generation a whole generation of young athletes, some of which are now in the NBA, in the WNBA. He was a man possessed about the craft, the art, the beauty of the sport of basketball. And he poured his all into it. Now, I can't speak for everyone who mourns. I can't speak on anyone's grieving process, but my own. But to those people who want to denigrate on how someone else shows love for the Black Mamba, well, the reason Not as many people show love for my grandmother. Millions of people aren't sending e-cards about my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother. They weren't drafted (laughs) by an NBA team. My grandfather didn't win an NBA dunk contest. My grandmother wasn't selected to 20 all-star teams. And that's not 
to put down my grandparents. They're great human beings. They deserve to have all the accolades just for being great person, just for being great people. But there's a reason why, why you're seeing millions of photos and memes about this man and his family. I mean, it's common sense, but I just feel like some people want to find a reason to nag. So once again, don't tell people how to grieve. It's not cool, bro. Congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs. They are the Super Bowl champs for 2020. And believe it or not, people, I slept throughout the whole Super Bowl. I had a rib plate, some collard greens, and some mac and cheese, and some pound cake. And I inhaled that whole plate hours before the Super Bowl. Shortly after I inhaled that plate, I was done and dunner. Out like a light, like a light, like a light. And as I'm recording this, I'm watching the recap of the Super Bowl. Uh, apparently, there was a halftime show with Shakira and J Lo. Uh, I'm kind of good on that. Uh, I, I'm sure it, it, it's not as good as the Prince halftime show or the Michael Jackson halftime show. Not even the Bruno Mars halftime show. But I digress. Congratulations once again to the Kansas City Chiefs. For years, I would say the Kansas City Chiefs are the Hacksaw Jim Duggan of the NFL. And by that I mean Hacksaw Jim Duggan, he's a lovable character. He had a following. He had presence. He would always be involved in some kind of way, in some important or relevant angle, storyline. He would always be in the pay-per-view. There would always be a Hacksaw Jim Duggan match, whether he was tag team with someone or whether it was a solo match. He had to resolve some beef, some feud. He'd always be present in a World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view. However, Hacksaw Jim Duggan never won a title with the WWF. And that's how I always looked at the Kansas City Chiefs. They were the Hacksaw Jim Duggan of the NFL because they may have a good year or two. They might have the best record in the league one season or two. And they'll look good on paper going into the playoffs, but for whatever reason, they could never close the deal. They can never take it all the way to the big game and win it out. But 2020, it's a new day, it's a new regime, and here we are. Andy Reid wins his second Super Bowl after he won with the uh, Green Bay Packers staff back in 97. He wins his second Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes. Eric Shannon Sharp says, Patrick, my homeboy, is the MVP. Three touchdowns, one of them rushing, 286 yards total, one INT. The fact that I fell asleep through 
the biggest sporting event in the in the world uh it shows that i really had no interest in this year's super bowl i have no dog in the race uh the niners or whatever i, I had never had anything get some same with the chiefs um but because of their their gap in super bowls uh you know i, I did want to have see the chiefs win and congrats to them kudos they deserved it they earned it i'm glad tom brady wasn't in the super bowl that's always great. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is the third black quarterback to win the Super Bowl. So now that the season's done and over with, how about them Cowboys? Today in sports history, in 1876, baseball's National League forms at the Grand Central Hotel in New York City with teams in Boston, Chicago, Cincinnati, Hartford, Louisville, New York, Philadelphia, and St. Louis. In 1892, the longest boxing match under modern rules is held, 77 rounds in Namioki, Illinois between Harry Sharp and Frank Crosby. In 1959, Vince Lombardi signs a five-year contract to coach the Green Bay Packers. 1967, the formation of American Basketball Association is announced. 1970, Pete Maravich becomes the first to score 3,000 points in college basketball. 1997, Scotty Bowman becomes the first coach in NHL history to win 1,000 games. And in 2014, Super Bowl 48 airs from MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. Seattle Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos 42-8. Linebacker Malcolm Smith is named MVP. And that was my half-assed sports report. When we come back, we're going to go across the lines with Kobe Bryant and Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We'll be black after these messages. Today's birthdays. Happy 43rd birthday to Colombian singer, songwriter, producer, and actress Shakira. Retired wide receiver Donald Driver turns 45. American basketball player and sportscaster Sean Elliott is 52 today. American bass player, songwriter of the band Stone Temple Pilots Robert DeLeo turns 54. American actress, model, and businesswoman Christy Brinkley turns 66 today. American actor Brent Spiner is 71. English-American singer-songwriter and guitarist Graham Nash is 78 today. And American comedian, actor, and activist Tom Smothers is 83. Wyatt T. Walker was an African-American pastor, national civil rights leader, theologian, and cultural historian. Born August 16, 1928 in Brockton, Massachusetts, he was the chief of staff for Martin Luther King Jr. and in 1958 became an early board member of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. He helped found a Congress for Racial Equality chapter in 1958. As executive director of the SCLC from 1960 to 1964, Walker helped to bring the group to national prominence. Walker was born in Massachusetts, raised primarily in New Jersey, and received his college education at Virginia Union University in Richmond, Virginia. 
After earning his degree in 1953, Walker was called as pastor at historic Guilfield Baptist Church, the second oldest black church in Petersburg, Virginia, and one of the oldest in the nation. In his leadership for social justice and against segregation, he was arrested numerous times, the first for leading an African-American group into the White Library in Petersburg. His flamboyant and cheeky style was shown as he caused a stir by trying to check out Douglas Southall Freeman's admiring biography of Robert E. Lee. In 1953, Walker worked with citizens who filed suit in federal court for access to a public pool in Lee Park. The city closed the park in 1954 rather than integrate. The park later reopened, but the city never operated the pool again. Walker's led two major civil rights organizations of Virginia. He served as president for five years of the Petersburg branch of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and as state director of the Congress of Racial Equality, which he co-founded in 1958. Walker also helped found the Petersburg Improvement Association, or the PIA, modeled after the Montgomery Improvement Association in Alabama. It developed strategies against segregation, including publicizing its activities. By May 1960, the PIA had 3,000 members. By conducting sit-ins in 1960 at the Trailways Bus Terminal, Walker and PIA members gained agreement by the president of the bus terminal restaurants to desegregate lunch counters in Petersburg and several other Virginia cities. This was achieved the year before the Freedom Riders arrived in 1961. Through these years, Walker became increasingly close to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement and later served as his chief of staff. In 1957, Walker helped found the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. In 1958, King chose Walker for the board of SCLC. Walker spent the next two years building the organization in Virginia by capitalizing on his network of relationships with clergy throughout the state from his activities with NAACP and CORE. He also continued demonstrations and actions intended to highlight, challenge, and end segregation. At King's invitation, Walker moved to Atlanta as the SCLC's first full-time executive director. During his leadership of 1960 to 1964, he brought the organization to national power in its efforts to bring about an end to legal segregation of African Americans. A strong manager, Walker, assisted by Dorothy Cotton and James Wood brought from the PIA, improved administration and fundraising and coordinated the staff's far-ranging activities. Walker preached dazzling sermons to support the student sit-ins that sparked the second phase of civil rights, organizing after 1960. He was also the chief strategist and tactician for Project C, the detailed plan for confrontation with local police and city officials that was the heart of the first phase of the Birmingham campaign in 1963. Assisted by local movement secretary Lola Hendricks, Walker meticulously researched protest targets, timed the walking distance from the 16th Street Baptist Church, the campaign's headquarters, to the downtown area, surveyed the segregated lunch counters of department stores, and listed federal buildings as secondary targets should police block the protesters' entrance from to primary targets such as stores, libraries, and all-white churches. He ensured that campaign would receive national attention and build support for the cause. The events captured important national media attention and coverage, as Walker discussed in detail when interviewed by Robert Penn Warren for the book Who Speaks for the Negro. This was critical for gaining national support among citizens and the Kennedy administration for the movement and its goals. Walker also helped organize and participated in the 1963 March on Washington. In 1964 and 1965, he celebrated the movement's success when President Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act. 
From 1964 to 1966, Walker worked with a new publishing venture, the Negro Heritage Library, which he headed as president in 1966. He worked with school boards and systems to expand curriculum, to improve coverage of African-American history and literature, and to add appropriate books to school libraries. In 1967, Walker was called the senior pastor of the influential Canaan Baptist Church of Christ in Harlem, New York, where he commanded a major pulpit in the struggle for tolerance and social justice. He also continued to compose sacred music. He connected his studies of other traditions to the use of music in the black church and social movements. Walker helped teach people about the relationship between movements around the world. During the years in which Africans sought independence, Walker hosted numerous leaders from the continent, including Nelson Mandela of South Africa, who were active in struggles against colonialism and apartheid. During the 1970s, Walker served as urban affairs specialist to Governor Nelson A. Rockefeller, helping advise in a volatile social environment. In 1975, he completed his doctorate at Colgate Rochester Divinity School. In his graduate studies and research, Walker also studied at the University of Ife in Nigeria and University of Ghana. During these years in Harlem, he wrote and published books on the relation of music and social movements and community development. Walker was increasingly active in the anti-apartheid movement, which had a strong base in the African-American community. In 1978, he founded the International Freedom Mobilization to draw attention to the abuses of apartheid in South Africa. He served on the National Committee on the American Committee on Africa. In the 1980s, he served on the ACOA board, including its president. In 1988, during the height of the anti-apartheid struggle, Walker helped co-found the Religious Actions Network of the ACOA, together with Canon Frederick B. Williams of the Church of the Intercession in Harlem. Walker also used the church's leadership in local economic and community development, writing about their efforts in the Harvard paper, the African American Church and Economic Development. He was chair of the Central Harlem Local Development Corporation to generate affordable housing units in Harlem to fill a critical need. Because of Walker's leading role in the civil rights movement, the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture at the New York Public Library collected his papers from the period of 1963 to 1982. They include both personal and official correspondence papers and lectures on a wide variety of topics and are available for research. Since college, Walker has been a member of the Gamma chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity. After 37 years as senior pastor, Walker retired in 2004 with the title of Pastor Emeritus of Canaan Baptist Church. He spent his final years in Virginia and taught at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor School of Theology at his alma mater, Virginia Union University in Richmond. Frustrated by the perpetual failure of the traditional public schools in Harlem and other underserved neighborhoods, Walker helped organize the passage of New York State's charter school law in 1998. In 1999, he joined with businessman philanthropist Steve Klinsky to found the first ever charter school in New York State, now named the Sisalu Walker Charter School of Harlem in honor of Walter Sisalu and Dr. Walker. This school was just one of three New York charter schools to open in the law's first year of 1999 and is only one from that year to survive. The school is community run and has substantially outperformed the traditional public schools in Harlem's District 5, where most of the school's students live. The founding and history of Sisalu Walker was described in the book A Light Shines in Harlem by Mary Bounds, which won the Phyllis Wheatley Prize for Best Nonfiction Work in 2015. Walker wrote the foreword for that book. Walker continued to support charter school reform from his home in Virginia. In 2016, he was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award for the National Charter School Alliance. This award had only been given once before to President Bill Clinton.
In September 2016, Walker gave an exclusive interview to RealClearLife.com where he stressed his support for charter schools as a key civil rights issue of our time and where he stated his strong belief that Dr. King would have supported charter schools as well. In September 2015, Walker wrote an essay for Real Clear Politics along with Steve Klinsky. In this essay, Walker and Klinsky called for a fundamental respect for all people considered as individuals without regards to race and expressed opposition to theories such as critical race theory that classifies people primarily as members of racial groups. Walker married Teresa Ann Walker before 1963. They had four children together. Walker died on January 23, 2018 at his home in Chester, Virginia. He was 89. And may he rest in paradise. And that, my friends, was a soldier of black excellence. Everything seems different down here. Just doing what I wanna do And you ain't even got the testicular fortitude I'm in stealth mode, you can't even hold me Jumped over a pool full of snakes like I'm Kobe I'm linking to the oldies, fronting like you know me Dropping from the sky, swinging swords like Shinobi I'm more like Jinobi Bring it to the left side, click, click, still represent that Midwest side Now let's ride higher than Iron Man Eating three meals a day, getting all my vitamins I'm just dope, man, never been a D-boy Plus I have the glow like my name is Bruce Leroy I can feel it in the rhythm of the night If my vision will ignite, then I'm Kid Dynamite My words, my weapons are paralyzed, you with paragraphs Sharper than a samurai sword, chop your man ass I wish you wouldn't keep appearing, appearing and disappearing so suddenly You're making me very dizzy MC be the jack of all trades And I came to get these suckers like Jack Spade Even John Slade when I fade in the gray And I talk greasier than Duke kids with the waves My words spread kinda like the plague Peanut butter on bread and cheerleaders legs Yeah, my words spread like butter on my eggs Shrapnel from shells, exposure from the nades Talk to my cousin I ain't heard from in days Said the flow senseless, had him stuck in the days Like my old man cause I'm stuck in my ways Got my eyes on tomorrow but I'm stuck in today do my own thing, give up what they say Why you throwing up signs like you here to place your raids? Nobody cares about the click that you claim It's just EA Sports, just get into the game And a special mention to those no longer with us Last Sunday we lost Kobe Bryant, an American professional basketball player Born Kobe Bean Bryant on August 23, 1978 In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania He was a shooting guard and Bryant entered the National Basketball Association directly from high school and played his entire 20-season professional career in the league with Los Angeles Lakers. Bryant won five NBA championships, was an 18-time All-Star, 15-time member of the All-NBA team, 12-time member of the All-Defensive team, was named the 2008 NBA Most Valuable Player, and was a two-time NBA Finals MVP winner. Widely regarded as one of the greatest players of all time, he led the NBA in scoring during two seasons, ranks fourth on the league's all-time regular season scoring, and ranks fourth on the all-time postseason scoring list. At 9.06 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on January 26, 2020, a Sikorsky S-76 helicopter departed from John Wayne Airport in Orange County, California, with nine people aboard. Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter Gianna, 
six family friends, and the pilot. The helicopter was registered to the Fillmore-based Island Express Holding Corporation, according to the California Secretary of State Business Database. The group was traveling to a basketball game at Bryant's Mamba Academy in Thousand Oaks. Due to the light rain and fog that morning, the LAPD helicopters and most other air traffic were grounded. The flight tracker showed that the helicopter circled above the LA Zoo due to heavy air traffic in the area. At 9.30 a.m., the pilot, Erez Zabayan, contacted the Burbank Airport's control tower, notifying the tower of the situation and was told he was flying too low to be tracked by radar. At that time, the helicopter experienced extreme fog and turned south towards the mountains. At 9.40 a.m., the helicopter climbed rapidly from 1,200 to 2,000 feet, flying at 161 knots. At 9.45 a.m., the helicopter crashed into the side of the mountain in Calabasas, about 30 miles northwest of downtown Los Angeles, and caught on fire. Bryant, his daughter, and the other seven occupants were killed. This also started a quarter-acre bushfire. At 9.47 a.m., authorities were called. Los Angeles County Fire Department firefighters responded to the scene and paramedics repelled from a helicopter to the scene to look for survivors. The fire was difficult to extinguish due to the presence of magnesium, but the fire had been extinguished by 10.30 a.m. Initial reports indicated that the helicopter crashed in the hills above Calabasas in heavy fog. Witnesses reported hearing a helicopter struggling before crashing. The cause of the crash is still unknown. The helicopter was not equipped with the black box. The Federal Aviation Administration National Transportation Safety Board and the FBI have launched investigations into the crash. On January 28th, Bryant's identity was officially confirmed using fingerprints. The following day, the Los Angeles County Department of Medical Examiner Coroner stated that the official cause of death for him and the eight others on the helicopter was blunt force trauma. Bryant was 41 at the time of his death. Last Tuesday, we lost Chris Dolman, an American professional football player who was a defensive end in the NFL. Born Christopher John Dolman, October 16, 1961, in Indianapolis, Indiana, he spent the majority of his career with the Minnesota Vikings and also played for the Atlanta Falcons and San Francisco 49ers. Dolman was an eight-time Pro Bowl selection and a three-time first-team All-Pro, recording 150.5 career sacks. He is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, class of 2012. On January 25, 2018, Dolman had brain surgery for a condition which was later diagnosed as glioblastoma. On January 28, 2020, Dolman died from the disease at the age of 58. Farrah Fawcett was an American actress on stage and screen, model and artist. Born Farrah Lenny Fawcett, February 2, 1947, in Corpus Christi, Texas, she was a five-time Emmy Award nominee six-time Golden Globe Award nominee. Fawcett rose to international fame when she starred as a private investigator, Jill Monroe, in the first season of the television series, Charlie's Angels. After battling cancer for years, Fawcett died at 9.28 a.m. Pacific time on June 25, 2009, at the age of 62 at St. John's Health Center in Santa Monica, California, with her husband, Ryan O'Neill, and her friend, Alana Stewart, by her side. Rest easy, y'all. Last Sunday, we lost NBA legend Kobe Bryant. Born Kobe Bean Bryant, August 23, 1978, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 
He was the youngest of three children and the only son of former NBA player Joe Bryant and Pamela Cox Bryant. He was also the maternal nephew of basketball player John Chubby Cox. Bryant started playing basketball at the age of three, and the Lakers were his favorite team when he was growing up. When Kobe was six, his father retired from the NBA and moved his family to Italy to continue playing professional basketball at a lower level. Kobe became accustomed to his new lifestyle and learned to speak fluent Italian. He began to play basketball seriously while living in Italy, and his grandfather would mail him videos of NBA games for Kobe to study. He also learned to play soccer, and his favorite soccer team was AC Milan. During summers, Kobe would come back to the United States to play in a basketball summer league. When Kobe was 13, he and his family moved back to Philadelphia. Kobe earned national recognition during a spectacular high school career at Lower Marion High School in Ardmore, located in the Philadelphia suburb of Lower Marion. He played on the varsity basketball team as a freshman, becoming the first freshman in decades to start for Lower Marion's varsity team, but the team finished with a 4-20 record. The following three years, the Aces compiled a 77-13 record, with Kobe playing all five positions. During his junior year, he averaged 31.1 points, 10.4 rebounds, and 5.2 assists, and was named Pennsylvania Player of the Year, while also earning a fourth-team parade All-American nomination, attracting attention from college recruiters in the process. Duke, Michigan, North Carolina, and Villanova were at the top of his list. However, after high schooler Kevin Garnett went in the first round of the 1995 NBA draft, Bryant also began contemplating going directly to the pros. At Adidas ABCD camp, Bryant earned the 1995 Senior MVP Award while playing alongside future NBA teammate Lamar Odom. In his senior year of high school, Bryant led the Aces to their first state championship in 53 years. During the run, he averaged 30.8 points, 12 rebounds, 6.5 assists, 4 steals, and 3.8 block shots, and leading the Aces to a 31-3 record. Bryant ended his high school career as Southeastern Pennsylvania's all-time leading scorer at 2,883 points, surpassing both Wilt Chamberlain and Lionel Simmons. Kobe received several awards for his outstanding performance during his senior year at Lower Marion. These included being named Naismith High School Player of the Year, Gatorade Men's National Basketball Player of the Year, a McDonald's All-American, a First Team Parade All-American, and a USA Today All-USA First Team Player. In 1996, Bryant took R&B singer Brandy to his senior prom. Ultimately, the 17-year-old Bryant made the decision to go directly into the NBA, becoming only the sixth player in NBA history to do so. The 1996 NBA draft was held on June 26, 1996, in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And with the 13th pick, the Charlotte Hornets selected Kobe Bryant. He was later traded to the Los Angeles Lakers for their star center, Vladi Divac, and the trade was made final on July 9, 1996. Kobe made his NBA regular season debut on November 29, 1996, against the Detroit Pistons, where he played for seven minutes, recording one point and one rebound. Twelve days prior to that, on November 17th of that year, the World Wrestling Federation is airing its 10th annual Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden in New York, New York. Making his in-ring debut in the event is a 24-year-old 
who goes by the name of Rocky Maivia. And that leads us to Across the Lines. He would step across the line. Habitually. He's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. Rocky made his debut in a four-on-four Survivor Series elimination match, teamed up with Jake the Snake Roberts, Mark Merrow, and The Stalker, going up against Crush, Goldust, Jerry Lawler, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. In his first match, Rocky would become the sole survivor after pinning Crush and Goldust. This would be his first of many key victories as a professional wrestler. Dwayne Douglas Johnson, better known as The Rock, was born May 2, 1972 in Hayward, California to Ida Johnson and former professional wrestler Rocky Johnson. Growing up, Johnson briefly lived in New Zealand with his mother's family who was also heavily involved in the wrestling business. His grandfather was Peter Maivia, who won several championship titles throughout various territories, and his uncles were Afa and Sika of the famous tag team the Wild Samoans. As a child, Dwayne's family moved around a lot due to the nature of the professional wrestling business. When they returned to the States, they lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, before moving to Hamden, Connecticut, Honolulu, Hawaii, Nashville, Tennessee, and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He was arrested multiple times for fighting, theft, and check fraud before the age of 17. Dwayne also began playing sports, joining his high school's gridiron football, track and field, and wrestling teams. He was a blue chip athlete and received offers from many Division I collegiate programs. He decided on a full scholarship from the University of Miami, where he mostly played defensive tackle. In 1991, he was on the Miami Hurricanes national championship team. After suffering a number of injuries, he was later replaced in the starting lineup by future Pro Football Hall of Famer Warren Sapp. After graduating in 1995 with a Bachelor of General Studies in Criminology and Physiology, he signed with the Calgary Stampeders of the Canadian Football League as a linebacker. He was assigned to the practice roster, but was cut two months into the season. After his football career, Dwayne decided to pursue a career as a professional wrestler, much like his father and maternal family had years prior. He signed his first WWF contract in the summer of 1996 when Kobe Bryant signed his first NBA contract. Kobe mostly came off the bench his rookie year, behind guards Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel. By the end of the season, he averaged 15.5 minutes a game. During the All-Star weekend, Kobe participated in the Rookie Challenge and won the 1997 Slam Dunk Contest, becoming the youngest dunk champion at the age of 18. His performance that season earned him a spot on the NBA All-Rookie Second Team. Dwayne Johnson, who went by the name Rocky Maivia at the time, saw success early in his career as well, winning the Intercontinental Championship from Hunter Hearst Helmsley on February 13, 1997, only a few months into his WWF contract. Despite the success he was receiving, audiences became increasingly hostile towards Maivia's Goody Two-Shoes Act with chants of Die Rocky Die and Rocky Sucks being heard during his matches. However, this wouldn't last long. After suffering a legitimate knee injury in a match against Mankind, Maivia returned in August 1997 and turned heel for the first time in his career by lashing out at fans who had been booing him and joining Farouk, D'Lo Brown, and Kama in the stable called the Nation of Domination. He then refused to acknowledge the Rocky Maivia name 
instead referring to himself in the third person as The Rock. The Rock would then regularly insult the audience, WWF performers, and interviewers in his promos. When Phil Jackson took over as the head coach of the Lakers, it was around this time Kobe would become one of the premier shooting guards in the league, earning appearances in the All-NBA, All-Star, and All-Defensive teams. The Lakers became championship contenders under Kobe and Shaquille O'Neal, who formed a legendary center guard combination. They would win three championships together in 2000, 2001, and 2002. He claimed his first All-Star MVP trophy after a 31-point performance in Philadelphia when he was loudly booed by fans, as they had throughout the game stemming from his earlier comment to a 76ers heckler during the finals that the Lakers were going to cut your hearts out. The booing of fans is what made The Rock even greater. The more they yelled and screamed, the sharper his retorts towards the crowd would be. And the crowd ate it up. They loved it. The more arrogant his character was, the bigger his star became. And on November 15, 1998, at the 12th annual Survivor Series, he would win his first of many World Heavyweight Championships after he defeated Mankind. He would go on to earn a plethora of accolades throughout his career, such as Match of the Year, Wrestler of the Year, Most Popular Wrestler of the Year, Best Box Office Draw, Best Gimmick, Most Charismatic, Most Improved, WCW Championships, WWE Championships, WWF Tag Team Championships, all while performing against and with the greatest from Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, John Cena, Hulk Hogan, Undertaker, Mankind, to name a few. The Kobe and Shaq tandem wouldn't see another championship after their third together, as their bubbling feud would send Shaq packing his bags to play with Dwayne Wade in Miami. However, Kobe would revitalize himself as a better teammate and player, dropping 81 points on the Toronto Rappers on January 22, 2006, earning more All-NBA First Team selections, All-Defensive First Team selections, All-Star MVPs, a regular season MVP in 2008, two more NBA championships, this time as the sole leader of the team in 2009 and 2010, as well as two gold medals in 2008 and 2012 all while performing with and against the greatest. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Shaquille O'Neal, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. Kobe and The Rock have Kobe and The Rock have even crossed over into seeing success in the world of cinema. In 2018, Bryant became the first African-American to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Short Film and the first former professional athlete to be nominated and to win an Academy Award in any category for his film Dear Basketball. And Dwayne, The Rock Johnson? He seems to be doing fairly decent for himself in the film industry as he has become one of the highest paid successful actors in Hollywood. With the recent passing of his father, Rocky Johnson, on January 15, 2020, the Rock's family, as well as Kobe's family, have dealt with the grief of losing a loved one within a short time span, as Kobe and his daughter Gianna Bryant passed away on January 26, 2020. And that was Across the Lines. Line step. If you smell... What the rock?
is cooked. Today in entertainment history, in 1950, the first broadcast of the show What's My Line airs on CBS. 1952, B.B. King's 3 O'Clock Blues hits number one on the U.S. Billboard's R&B Hit Parade to become his first national hit. In 1955, the first presidential news conference airs on network TV on ABC. 1959, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens have their final performances. 1992, IRS and Willie Nelson settle on $9 million tax bill. 1996, Ali Laundrie of Louisiana is crowned the 45th Miss USA. In 2009, RuPaul's Drag Race, hosted by RuPaul, premieres on Logo TV. And in 2019, American singer R. Kelly is arrested after turning himself in on 10 counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse, including with three minors. Now, this portion of the show is where we show appreciation to our haters. Hi, haters. Sup, nigga? According to an article by The Hollywood Reporter, a New York comedy club receives threats after comedians jokes about Kobe Bryant. The New York Comedy Club canceled a performance by comedian Ari Shafir after the organization received threats due to the performer's off-color remarks about late athlete Kobe Bryant. Shafir, who previously hosted Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening before Roy Wood Jr. replaced him in the role, was scheduled to perform Tuesday night, a representative for the club confirmed to The Hollywood Reporter, but the venue canceled his booking and will not be working with him in the future after learning about a joke that Shafir had tweeted. The club did not provide a comment on the record. Shafir had performed the previous Saturday at the venue's Midtown Manhattan location. The club filed an aggravated harassment report with the New York Police Department about several phone threats it was receiving as a result of the booking, the NYPD confirmed Wednesday. An investigation is ongoing onto the threats. Though Shafir's Twitter profile was private as of Wednesday morning, TMZ, which was the first to report the development, reported that the day of the longtime Los Angeles Lakers' death, Shafir tweeted a video of him saying Kobe Bryant died 23 years too late today. He got away with rape because all the Hollywood liberals who attack comedy enjoy rooting for the Lakers more than they dislike rape. Big ups to the hero who forgot to gas up his chopper. I hate the Lakers. What a great day. Shafir did not return a request for comment. Shafir on Tuesday published a lengthy mea culpa on his Instagram, explaining that his video was a bit he does when any celebrity dies where he posts terrible things about them. Every time a beloved celebrity dies, I post some horrible shit about them, he wrote. I've been doing it for years now. I like destroying gods. And right when a famous person dies, they're at their most worshipped. So as a response to all the outpouring of sympathy on social media, I post something vile. It's just a joke. I don't really hate any of the people. Shafir called the routine dark comedy, a moronic inappropriate post I make for the fans who sign up to see them. Shafir added that he posted his video before he learned children were on board the helicopter whose crash killed Bryant and eight others on Sunday, and that fans asked him for a Kobe post. Kids dying like that, it's horrible, he wrote. All the other people dying, that's horrible too. It's horrible he died. Really, really sad. What a terrible thing that was that happened. You want to talk some shit? You want to know what's not terrible? Hack comedians like Ari Schaefer, Shafir. Schaefer? Who gives a fuck? What's not terrible is that that bitch is canceled. I thought the whole point of being a comedian was to be funny. I get dark humor. 
I'm a student of comedy. If it's good, if the people laugh, you're solid. That shit you said, Ari Schaefer, wasn't funny. Word to Michael Richards. Fuck Michael Richards. Fuck Ari Schaefer. If the people aren't laughing, you didn't do your job as a comedian. There's no excuse for being a horrible comic. I hope they scrap all of your shitty Netflix specials off the air, out of their selection, off their list, off with your head. You sounded very sincere in your little mop-up, trying to save face, Ari Schaefer, Shafir. And the fact that you have fans who are asking for a Kobe, fo Kobe post after something like this happens, I shouldn't be shocked because look who we have as the President of the United States. This is the wrong field. I think when people come to comedy shows, I think they want to laugh. I don't think they all get together to be fucking assholes, asshats. Which is what Ari Schaefer is and all of his fans. But don't worry, you faux liberal racist white people. Because I'm assuming that's who his fan base was. Don't worry, we still have Sarah Silverman. Because she's cute and she says little racist things with a little smirk on her face. <laughs> Fuck her too. So, this is a morning. Not much appreciation, but a morning of Ari Schaefer, Shafir's career. See what I did there? And no, I'm not a part of the cancel culture. Don't get me involved with those sensitive LMNOP, BLT community motherfuckers. I'm from the that shit ain't funny culture. If you're not funny, you need to get the fuck off the stage. And I watched some of Ari Schaefer's material. And before this video, I was never impressed. I never laughed. He's not funny. He's just another fucking comedian, another white guy that gets on a mic and they gave a Netflix special to. They give anyone Netflix specials to. I couldn't name half the motherfuckers on, on that comedy list in Netflix. There's like 11 different comedians I never heard of, don't care to know. But I appreciate the fact that Ari Schaefer had no qualms about showing how ignorant he is. Yeah, it doesn't matter that you didn't know that kids were on that helicopter. Actually, I, you know what, it does matter. The fact that you were willing to broadcast this to the world, to your so-called followers, to your so-called fans, and then you realize that, hell, his daughter was with him and she died. And some other girls were there and they died. Now, don't you look like a jackass, Ari Schaefer, Shafir. It doesn't matter, your career is no more. You know who else appreciates you? The other comedians whose stage time you've been taking up. Get out the way, you honky. And I'm not talking about white people, I'm talking about honkies. I ain't talking about Caucasians, I'm talking about honkies. So, Ari Shafir, Schaefer, it doesn't even matter, does it? The people have a voice. 
and you can't just get away with saying some fuck shit just because you're an entertainer or because you're a celebrity the power of social media the power of the internet the interwebs gives people a voice to say fuck this guy Ari Schaefer thank you fuck you Will Patrick Mahomes turn down his White House invitation to prove he's black enough? Will the so-called President of the United States be able to locate Kansas City on a map in time if he doesn't? Will the Super Bowl champs eat gourmet meals or Lunchables? Tune in next week for another episode. Or will there be a new episode next week? Damn it, Steve, get it together. Here, I'm over the culture. Ohio!